Well, we're on week five of our current teaching series on the sower, the sower. And last week I, sh- I shared this with you, but I'm going to share it again, that uh, words are like seeds, and seeds produce thoughts, or words produce thoughts. Thoughts determine emotions, and emotions determine decisions. Decisions produce actions, and actions either lead to life or they lead to death. And we've been talking about the parable of the, uh, of the sower and the soil and how the soil represents men's hearts and these different conditions of, of, of men's hearts. Here's the parable. In Mark chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Then he taught them many things by parable and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. First of all, I'm just going to say this again because you guys got to get a new identity of what God is like. You, you have to really come to understanding what God is like. Most farmers, seed is expensive. And they want to get as much out of that sowing as possible. But with God, he's extravagant in everything he does. Notice that with God, God the sower, which is Jesus, Jesus is a sower, Sower, right? We've, we've learned that so far. And we've also learned that Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. If what you understand about God doesn't look like Jesus, you do not understand what God is like. And religion has perverted our Heavenly Father. They've twisted it into him as, a, as someone that's angry and mad. But no, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if your God doesn't look like Jesus... You're worshiping an idol. You're worshiping the wrong God. And Jesus is the seed, but he's extravagant. This, God just throws the seed everywhere. He's flinging it everywhere. He's throwing it on the wayside. He's throwing it on the stony ground. He's throwing it up into the weeds. He's just throwing it everywhere. Why? Because he, he wants a harvest from every single person. God is not responsible for there not being a harvest. What we do with the seed that is sown dictates that. See, the seed has everything in it that it needs to produce. An acorn has everything that an oak tree needs. A corn kernel has everything that a corn stalk needs. The seed has the power, has the grace in it to produce. But the conditions that it's sown in can hinder the fruitfulness of that seed. Amen? He goes on to say in verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up 
and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus also said that this parable is the greatest of all parables. If you can't understand this parable, you can't understand the things of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works like seed. And the seed is word, is, is the word of God. And Jesus is the word of God. And these soils represent the condition of people's hearts. We have the wayside. We have the stony ground. We have the weedy ground. We have the, the good ground. And today we're looking at the third condition, the weedy ground. And we're going to see how the thorns and the weeds choke out the seed where it's unfruitful. And once again, to help us understand these conditions, because you young kids here, you think that cornflakes comes from the grocery store. It's in a box. No, it actually grew up as a plant before that and had to be harvested and had to be processed and had to be sent to the factory and then to the grocery store and then into your little cereal bowl. So let's look at Farmer Joe as he explains what weeds do to a crop. In, in the corner of this field, it would be difficult to turn our farm machinery around, so this is what we would call an idle area here. And this is a very good indication of plant competition where native species which we may call weeds, uh, compete with our crops. And we can see a very good example of it along the border here. And get over in the edge of the fence row there, the edge of the field, you can see how much taller it gets. And it just takes over from our our cultivated plants now. this area here, you can see the little boot here and the flag leaf from the wheat and see how small and unthrifty it is. And that's just from competition from other plant species. The plants are so close together that it can't get enough, we'll say, daylight, sunlight. They can't take up enough moisture. They can't take up enough nutrition out of the soil to make a normal growth. So we just get a little spindly plant rather than a big healthy plant. Okay, here in front of me is a musk thistle. That's a biennial plant. Okay, it's, it's not unusual for some of the, one of these plants to grow three feet in diameter to shade out an area that large. So you can imagine how devastating it could be in a grain crop or a wheat crop. One plant may have a million seeds, so there'd be enough plants on this to seed half of Rutherford County. So it's all about competition. You know, with the, the wayside, it never got into the soil, so the birds of the air came and devoured it. On the stony ground, it never got any depth for the roots, and so it withered away. And here, it competes for your attention and chokes it out 
so it's unfruitful. Again, the enemy is about one thing, stopping the word from producing in your life. Stopping the things of God from producing in your life. Because he knows that if you get addicted, if you start getting fruit, if you start operating in the grace of God, he's not going to be able to stop you. And you will be a shining example of what it's like to be a kid in the kingdom of his father. Amen? Look at James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, uh, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, this, this is written to Christians. And isn't this how we live life? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to this college. I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to... We make all these plans. And then we ask God to bless our plans. And we don't know what life is going to be like tomorrow, do we? But there's someone that does. And it's better to find the will of God for your life and follow that rather than you trying to do your own thing and expect God to bless it. There's a lot of people today that are, have been doing jobs for the last 30 years and they hated every day of it. Why? Did God, did God create you to that end? To live your life, to live your life hating every single day of it? No. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And the reason why we fall into these ruts, why we fall into these places, is because it looks there's safety there. It looks secure. It, 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 it doesn't take faith. I'll tell you right now, God's plans for your life will take faith. He's going to ask you to do something that doesn't look safe. He's going to ask you to do something that only he can do. And he's put these desires in your heart. You know those dreams? You ever, remember daydreaming when you were a kid? We think that that's bad stuff. That's not bad. God has put, he says, that he's put the desires in your heart. And those daydreams, those, those things that you think about, those, those things that, and as you get older, they, they disappear and hope disappears. But a lot of us need to get back to that childhood, childlike faith where anything was possible. See, we don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. Most of us, we, 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 we are living for retirement. Do you know that in the Bible and in the Hebrew language, there is no word for retirement? 
There's no word for retirement. God never intended you to retire. I mean, you might change, you might do something different, but you don't stop living, you don't stop. We, we go to high school, you know, elementary school and high school for what? 12, uh, it's more than 12 years, isn't it? 13 years. Some of us took longer than others. We go, we go to 13 years we spend in school. And then now you got to go to college, they tell you, for another four years. And then if you want to do something like a doctor or a lawyer, now that's another, what, two more years? Maybe even eight? I mean, it's just crazy. So now you got 13 plus 4 is 17, right? And we do all that. Why do we do all that? So we can get a good job, right? And why? And then we get a good job, and we work there. We might not even like the job we're doing, and we work there for another, what, 30 years, let's say. So that's 47 years of your life. Why do you work there for 30 years? So you can have retirement. So you work there for, now that's 47, that ain't right. 65, you got a great, my math isn't no good. But anyways, you retire at, what, 65, 64, something like that? And, the, and you do all that for the last 15, 10 years of your life. So you work all this up for 10 to 15 years. I think God has a better way. I think God has a better way. I think God has... Why, why not start in rest? Why not start with what he has designed you to do? Why not get up in the morning excited about going to work? Why not get up in the morning and be excited that you're a world changer? You're change, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're a carpenter and you love to be a carpenter, you love building and designing and, and constructing and seeing the finished product and seeing the homeowners. You ever watch, uh, what is it, um, Chip and Fixer Upper? If you don't watch Fixer Upper, shame on you. You need to watch Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper is a great show. Um, Christian couple that, that remiles homes. And, and to see the looks on their faces when, when the homeowners come in and see the transformation of their home. They're changing lives. And they're changing lives for the, for the glory of God. If, if that's not in you, if, that, if that's not in you every morning when you get up, it's, starting, it's time to dream again. It's time to see what, the, what God wills for your life. Look at how Jesus interpreted this type of ground in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus says, And that which fell among thorns, these are they that have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. See, the wayside, the wayside never had a chance to even get roots. The, the birds of the air came and gobbled it up, and, they had, and it represents what? Not having understanding. They did not understand the word of God. And so what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to under, get understanding. We're supposed to understand what the word of God is teaching us, right? There's so many people that go to church every Sunday or read their Bible religiously. It's, I got my three chapters done. I'm done for the day. But they don't, couldn't tell you a thing about what they read. Or they couldn't tell you what they were taught in, in, in church. 
Because they didn't have understanding. When you get understanding, then you have knowledge and, and working knowledge. And then you can apply wisdom to, to that knowledge. And then you can start living it out. The next type of ground was what? It was the stony ground. And those were those that, that hear the word of God and they get excited about it for a season. But all of a sudden, trials and persecution comes. They get mocked. Or if you're in the Middle East, they get their town burned down and told at the barrel of a gun to deny Christ. Persecution comes. Persecution comes. It could be a simple teasing at school or it could be a co-worker at work that mocks you for going to church. And your excitement diminishes and you draw back from the word. You just draw back. And because you're not rooted and grounded in what you believe, it hasn't started transforming your mind and you don't have a sure foundation, you fall away from the word of God. And it's all about getting the word to stop producing in your life. And with this, we see that it brings no fruit to perfection. And this is where a lot of Christians are. They, 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 they've got understanding of the word of God. They've got working knowledge. They're using wisdom and, and, try, and to apply it to their lives. They're standing firm on the things of God. And, and, and that... And that, that Persecution can come in all different forms. Most persecution, to its shame, comes from other Christians. Well, you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? You believe in healing? You believe in that prosperity stuff? No, I believe in poverty. That's just ridiculous. But persecution comes from from other believers. And it's just not persecution about Jesus. It's persecution about who you believe Jesus is in your life. That's a big difference. You, it says, that, it says that, the, that Satan, the demons, believe in God. But he, they don't believe that he's their Savior. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus in your life? Who is he? Is he just your get-out-of-hell-free card? That one day I'll get to go to heaven? Or is he your Lord and King? And are you seated with him in heavenly places? And you have an inheritance in God through Christ Jesus. Is he your source? Are you one? Are you in union with him? as a husband and a wife are in union. But you know marriage is all about the union of Christ and the church? And the way that we should depend on our spouse is the way that we should be depending on Jesus, who laid his life down for us. And he's presenting us to God as a spotless bride, as a bride without spot or blemish. See, we're, we're trying to fix ourselves up. You know, chill out. Let Jesus fix you up. Let Jesus do the, do the transformation. Who is Jesus to you? 
See, these people, these people are those that have received God's word and commit themselves to it to a degree and are able to remain faithful even in persecution. However, by being occupied with the affairs of life, the word sown in their heart is choked and it produces puny crops. It produces fruit, but it doesn't come to perfection. You wouldn't want to eat this, this fruit. And does that look like the church at large? At large, you know, yeah, you can see some fruit of God on, that, on, uh, on, the, on the body of Christ, but, you know, the world that really doesn't want it. Right? But if we were producing the kind of crops that Jesus intended us to produce, the world would beat down the doors. And you've met those people. You've met those Christians that are walking in the Spirit it seems like they had the Midas touch, with it, which they don't. They're just walking in the grace of God. And you think, man, God must really love them. No. Don't ever judge someone's harvest until you've seen how much seed they've sown. See, that's the problem. Is we, we, we don't understand that these are principles of how the kingdom of God works. And all we look at is, is the fruitfulness but we don't see the labor of sowing the word of God in their heart, transforming their minds, and being steadfast in the promises of God, unwavering in the promise of God, the persecution that they went through, the trials, the tribulations that tried to get them off the word, but they remain faithful because God is faithful. Just as weeds in a garden will steal all of the nutrients and starve the plants, so the pleasures of this life, if allowed to dominate people's thinking, will stop the fruit that the word would have produced. Well, it sounds like God is just a big old killjoy. He doesn't want me to have any pleasure. He doesn't want me to have any fun. No, he wants the party to continue He wants your party to continue. Proverbs 10.22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. God wants to bless you so that you might be what? What's that say? I just want to make sure I'm not reading it wrong. Come on, you can say it. Rich. That's a a four-letter word in the church. But when you're out these doors, then that's what you strive through all week long. God wants the blessing of the Lord to come on you and make you rich. And there's two ways you can do it. You can either do it by the sweat of your brow. You can be a workaholic. You can do it your way. And you can be rich. I got a question for you. But is there sorrow added to it? God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be fruitful in a way that there's no sorrow involved in it. I mean, you can look, you can looky look at all these athletes, these actors. 
and you think that money solves all your problems, but as far as I can see, I can just check out in the, in the checkout line and see the tabloids, and there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of sorrow tied up with them, their, richness, their riches. God wants to do it in a way that it's through his blessing, and there's no sorrow tied to it. He doesn't want you to lose your family or lose your wife chasing after pleasures of this life, chasing after the almighty dollar. He doesn't want you to, to lose your health. He doesn't want you to be a jerk. He, he doesn't want you to be, be someone that's unbearable and has no friends. He doesn't want you to be a person that has to manipulate and control and, and, and use people. He wants you to do it in a way that you're trusting God and he produces the increase. So it's not about God wanting to kill your party. He doesn't want you to kill your party. He wants your party to continue because when you do it God's way, there's boundaries and there's safety and, and it's not perverted. It's fruitful. But when we do it our ways, we pervert the things of God, and we go to extremes, and it destroys. It destroys. You only have so much attention. Do you realize that? You, 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 you can only give your attention to so many things. So what is your mind state on? What are you attending to? What are you thinking about? We must maintain priorities in our life. You must maintain priorities. Everyone is maxed out. If I ask you, most people in here, even if you don't do anything, you're busy. Everybody's busy. I, I haven't met a person that's not busy. I never came up to somebody and said, so what's going on? Oh, man, I'm just bored. I, there's nothing going on. I'm just sitting around all day doing nothing. Even if they're sitting around all day doing nothing, they still say, oh, man, I'm busy. Things are just busy. I can't find any time. People that has retired, all of a sudden, they're always busy. They're not even going to work no more, but they're busy. Everybody's busy, busy, busy. You're maxed, maxed out. And that's all right. See, most people tell you, that, well, that's wrong to be, to be maxed out. To have a busy schedule. But that's fine. It's fine to have a busy, busy schedule as long as our hearts are filled with the right priorities. Because I'm busy. I have a full-time job. I pastor, hopefully, full-time, as much as I can. I have a full-time job. I pastor full-time. I have four kids. A wife, kids play sports, they have needs. So I understand being busy. So if you come up to me and say, I'm just too busy to be in the Word, I'm too busy to meditate on the things of God, <laughs> you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm busy, but I have my, my heart's priorities are in line. My heart's priorities are in line. 
As long as we're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, as long as we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit and not in anxiety, worry, fear, and greed. You can be as busy as you want. You think Jesus wasn't busy? You don't think Paul wasn't busy? They had to go everywhere on foot. And Paul, he, he, when there wasn't enough money in the offering, he had to make tents. He was a tent maker. He, they, they were busy. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. In between being whipped and jailed and thrown into prison, shipwrecked. He's busy. Everybody's busy. That's life. Life is busy. Life is busy. But is your priorities, what's in your heart as you're busy? Is there fear? Is there anxiety? Do you feel pressure to produce? We need to fix our attention on the word as we go about our to-do list. We need to fix our attention on the word as we go about our to-do list. And you're thinking, how can I do that? Have you ever had a situation in your life that caused some trauma, caused some worry, caused some concern? Have you ever been concerned about bills, maybe? Or have you ever been concerned about a child? Have you ever been concerned about a situation, a health situation, a family member? Is there anybody that has never, ever had a concern in their life? So do you have to stop and go, not go to work, get away all by yourself, and worry about those things? You don't. You mean you go to work, and you're able to work and do your job and worry all day long? You're able to have your priority based on that worry and that concern and the thing you're going through all day long and still be a productive human being? So why can't you do that with the Word of God? Meditating on the Word of God is the same thing as worrying about what the devil's doing. You can meditate on the promises of God all day long. You can pray in the Spirit. You can, you can think about God. You can, you can sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs in your, in your spirit all day long. See, it's right priorities. It's living in union with Jesus. It's walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It's realizing that God is with me, not only in church, but where I go everywhere. That God is present. David says, if I go to hell, you are there. There's nowhere you can go that God is not. Sitting on the bar stool. God is there. God is everywhere. But do you acknowledge that? Do you acknowledge that God is in your situation everywhere you go, meditating on his promises, getting rooted in, and grounded in the things of God? Because you can, you can meditate on God's word as easy as it is to worry about the, the storm that you're facing. But you have to learn to do that. You have to learn to do that. In Joshua chapter 1, 
if you, it's the story of Joshua, he just inherited some of the biggest whining, complaining people on the face of the earth. God came to Joshua and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Guess what? You're the guy. They had just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their fear and unbelief to go in and take the promised land. And look at what God says to Joshua. Do you think Joshua had some issues? Do you think he had some concerns? Do you think that he thought, how am I going to do this? The pressure. And so what does God tell him to do? He tells him, let the words from the book of the law be always on your lips. Meditate on them day and night so that you may be careful to live by all that is written in it. If you do, as you make your way through this world, you will prosper and always find success. So there it is again. God wants us to what? Prosper and have success. When? When we get to heaven? No. As we go through this world. God wants you to prosper and have success as you go through this world. But how does he want you to do it? How does he want you to do it? He says, he says let the law or the, the word of God... Up to that point, all they had was the books that Moses wrote. And he says, let the word of God be on your lips. So what's that mean? That, that means you should be speaking them. Right? And then he says what? He says, meditate on them day and night. That means that we, you should be pondering them. Just like you worry you lay in bed, you know, you lay in bed worrying about tomorrow. You can't sleep. I can't sleep. I'm worried about what's going on, this situation. You know what? Say, devil, you're not going to do this to me. Instead of worrying about my situation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. You know what you're going to find out? You'll fall asleep like that. <laughs> All you got to do is have another thought. I said this earlier, but your situation is not a big deal for Jesus. And if you don't like the way that you're thinking, have another thought. Find out what God is thinking about this situation and think that way. You know, your prayer life, you, some of you, if you've been praying for years for something, you know, the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's at the right hand of God praying for us right now. And then it says the Holy Spirit... Um, prays for us with groanings. And, and the reason why he prays, us with, prays for us with groanings is because he has to live with us. He's just, <laughs> that was bad. But anyways, why not find out what Jesus is praying about this situation? Why not find out what the Holy Spirit's praying about this situation and pray that way? Why not line up your prayer life? You know, a lot of reasons why God doesn't answer your prayers is because he didn't like the prayer. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't exceedingly, abundantly above we could, anything we can ask or hope, hope for. And you're praying, and, and, and it, it, it doesn't seem to be happening, and, and maybe you need to upgrade your prayer. It's not big enough for God. 
And then you upgrade a little bit more. And that's not quite it. You're getting warmer. Getting warmer. Upgrade again. Getting warmer. There it is. Line up your prayer with God. What is God thinking about your situation? Change your situation. Meditate on the things of God day in and day out. And you're saying, how can you do that day in and day out? I don't have time to do it. I don't have time. I got a, I got a busy schedule. Yeah. Do it the same way you worry. The, way, the same way that you worry. You got time to worry. You got time to meditate on the things of God. And look what he, then it goes on to say. And then it goes on to say, be careful to live by all that is written in it. So you're supposed to be speaking the word, meditating on the word, and be doers of the word. And doesn't that sound like the, the ground? Right? You have the wayside. You start speaking about the word. You start talking about the word of God and trying to get understanding. And then as you get understanding, then you start meditating and thinking deep down in your heart, what does this mean to me? What does, how does this apply to me? And that's, that's the, the deep foundation. And then, now we live life according. We live out what's in our heart according to the word of God. Where the weeds and the thorns can't choke out the word of God. Because we're not concerned about the things of this world. We're concerned about the things of God. And then it produces fruit. To meditate, to murmur in pleasure or anger. See, the very, the very definition of, of meditate in the Hebrew, it, it can be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. You can meditate in anger, you can meditate in frustration, you can meditate in fear and anxiety, or you can meditate in the promises of God, in the things of God. By implication to ponder, imagine, mourn, mutter, speak, study, talk, utter. God wants you to be meditating on the things of God. We must learn to meditate on the things of God and his kingdom. If you can worry and do life at the same time, you can meditate on God and do life at the same time. We don't fight negative thoughts. You don't fight negative thoughts. You replace them. See, you thoughts come into your mind and you think, why am I thinking this way? I gotta stop thinking this way. It's driving me nuts. I'm going crazy. I'm just worrying all the time. Whatever it might be. There's someone that gets a doctor report. And they don't even know, they don't even know, the doctor hasn't came back and said, they just say, so we found something that looks unusual. And they don't even know what it is. But they've already got it all planned out that they've got cancer and they can see themselves going through chemo and they can see, they can see, they got it all planned out to their funeral. Who's going to be there? I wonder if anybody's going to show up. That's meditation on death and destruction. They got it all planned out. And, and then you say, why am I thinking this way? I got to stop thinking this way. You know what? You can't fight thoughts with thoughts. You have to replace the thought with a different thought and then speak it out of your mouth. Do you understand that? You have to speak out of your mouth the things of God. For instance, 
If I told you to count to 10 in your head right now, count to 10 in your head, okay? Now say red. Okay, none of you guys did it. You guys are all disobedient. If you count to 10 in your head, one, two, and you say red, what happens to your counting? It stops. So if you replace those thoughts with the promises of God and have them come out of your head, what happens? You've got to stop thinking those thoughts. It's pretty simple. Whenever you feel overwhelmed, weak, desperate, ask yourself, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying about, saying about this situation? What is he thinking about this situation? And replace those thoughts with what Jesus is thinking. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 so be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps. Don't run around like idiots as the rest of the world does. Instead, walk as the wise. Make the most of every living and breathing moment because these are evil times. So understand and be confident in God's will. We need to understand God's will. Right? That's the first ground, right? Have understanding. Those that lack understanding, the birds of the air came and ate it up, right? And then we have to have what? Confidence. That's that firm foundation rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Be confident in God's will and don't live thoughtlessly. Don't drink wine excessively. The drunken path is a reckless path. It leads nowhere. Instead, let God fill you with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are empowered to speak to each other in the soulful words of pious songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, to sing and make music in your hearts attuned to God and to give thanks to God the Father every day through the name of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, for all He has done. See, when you are walking in the Spirit, when you are thinking of the things of God, when you know the will of God and you have understanding and you're walking in that will. You're filled with the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. You're not walking in the, the way that the world goes. As thoughtless idiots, it just said. And he fills you. He fills you with the things of God. Look at the promise of God that Jesus has about having right priorities. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and wealth. So is Jesus saying that he doesn't, that it's wrong to be wealthy? No. He says it's wrong to be mastered by wealth. What's the opposite of being mastered by wealth? You mastering wealth. Right? It's not that having wealth is bad, but wealth having you is bad. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Most people would say no. <laughs> Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, they, nor do they reap or, or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? This is life. This is what everybody experiences in life. 
worry, concerned about eating, wearing, what you're wearing, where you're going to live, all of these things. And what is Jesus commanding us, telling us to do here? Don't live like that. Do not live like that. Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is a person without a covenant or relationship with God. So the whole world, Christians and non-Christians, are seeking after these things. Gentiles seek after these same things. Their whole life revolves around these things. And he says, he says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what is Jesus telling us here? He's telling you that God is going to take care of all those things that you need. He's going to take care of those things you need, so stop worrying about it. And start focusing on the Word of God. Focus on the kingdom of God. Start focusing on the righteousness, His righteousness, not your righteousness, that He is righteous. He's a good God. He's a providing God. He's our Abba. Look what it goes on to say. Well, I don't have that. I'll just tell you about it. He starts talking about the lilies of the field, that they were, they were, they're more splendid, splendid than Solomon in all his glory. And he says, and those are withered away and thrown in the fire and burnt. How will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Not only does God want to provide for you, but he wants to provide you better than Solomon. He says that the lilies of the field are taken care of, and they're, they're better dressed than Solomon ever hoped to be. How much more will he clothe you? God's desire for you is bigger than your, your desire. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about, tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall grow, shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and from dust you shall return. That's the curse. That's the curse. We are to eat from the ground that is cursed. We are to toil. We are to to. to Toil and ground that now is producing thorns and thistles in our life. By the sweat of our own brow. This isn't talking about not having a job, having a job or not having a job. Do you know before the fall? Before the fall, Adam had a job. It was to what? Tend the garden, till the garden. But the difference now is that it produces thorns and thistles. The difference now is it takes a lot more work to produce. The difference now is that it's cursed. And there's a lot of Christians that still live life like under the curse. But here's the good news. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing, the in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You've been redeemed from the curse, so why are you still living like you're cursed? You're supposed to be living in rest. You're not supposed to be caring about the things of this world. Does that mean you don't enjoy them? Yeah, we enjoy them. We enjoy them, but we don't care. We don't spend all our time worried about that. That's a huge difference because this is how you live your life. You live your life worried all the time. You're worried about, if I lose my job, then we won't have no food. And then we won't have no food, we're going to starve to death. That's where it goes to. If I lose my job, then we're going to lose the house and we're going to be out, out on the road. We are constantly, we are constantly controlled by worried and fear and anxiety instead of meditating on the things of God. Look at what Peter says. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? How do you do it? By sowing the word and living according to the word of God rather than the wisdom of man. You humble yourself to live your life the way God says to live it. And it says that he will exalt you. Instead of working 80 hours a week, trying to impress the boss, do all these things, you just, live, you just do it God's way. Does that mean that there's sometimes that God will say, you know what, they need extra help on this project. You should stay after and help them. That's part of being a Christian. That's part of loving your neighbor. That's part of But that anxiety, that drive that if I don't do it, I won't succeed. If I don't do it, I won't have success is gone because God now becomes your success. His grace starts flourishing in your life. He starts exhausting you. And what do you do? You cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you know that word cast literally means to take a stone and throw it as far as you possibly can? Why does it use such a descriptive word like that? Because if you throw your anxiety down on the ground, you're going to pick it back up. But if you throw it as far as you can, you're not going to pick it back up. There's a lot of us that cast our cares onto God, but then we just pick them right back up again. Why? Why do we pick up right back up again? It's because we don't believe the last part. Because he cares for you. Look how the Amplified puts verse 7. Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all. On him. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. 
That's what God, that's, that's what God thinks of you. That is what God wants to do in your life. He's watching over you. He, he, he wants to take care of you. He wants to exalt you. But we don't let him. Because we are our own Lord. We are our, our own God. If, it doesn't, if I don't take care of it, it's not going to get done. And it's time that these, these thorns and these thistles that are choking out the word of God. Sure, you might have some fruit in your life. You know, I've run into people. I've run into people. I've had relatives that talk about, you, you know what? Um, I, 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 I don't give a bunch of money to charity, and I've done pretty good for myself. I don't do the thing, you know. I, I think that God tells me what to do and stuff, but I, don't, I do everything I've done on my own, and I, I've done pr- pretty good for myself. You know what? What I say is, where would you have been? What could you have been? What, what kind of blessing could you have been if you didn't do it yourself? What did God really want you to produce in life? See, we look at people and judge them by fruitfulness. And just because someone seems to have a lot of fruit on them doesn't mean that it came to perfection. The cares of this world choke out the fruitfulness, and it doesn't mature. It doesn't come into perfection. And just because you're in this, you might be doing better than the person sitting next to you or sitting across the aisle or whatever, doesn't mean that you are producing the way that God wants you to produce. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be a blessing that's so much bigger. I've, I've changed my wording that I don't want to be blessed. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. Blessed, blessed, just to be blessed is self-centeredness. It's that type of person to say, you know what? I have plenty. My family's taken care of. I have plenty. I, don't, I, don't, I, I would never ask God to give me any more because I have enough. Do you know how selfish that sounds? So all you care about is you're for and no more. There's a whole world that needs to be transformed. There's a whole world that needs to hear about Jesus. There's a whole world. And I, I want us to be a church. I want to be an individual that, that is not satisfied with being blessed. I want to be a, a blessing. That's when fruitfulness comes to maturity. Amen? Amen. So four types of soil that equal four conditions of men's hearts. And as we talked about this earlier, I really believe that this is, this is a maturing process, that each of us have experienced each one of these types of ground. The wayside where we really didn't care about the things of God. We didn't care about the Word of God. We thought there was foolishness. We didn't have understanding about the things of God. The stony ground when finally that, that word got into our hearts a little bit, and all of a sudden we realized the Holy Spirit caused life to happen inside of us, and we get excited about the things of God. We get excited about the Word of God. But, but because we don't have any firm foundation, we, we get excited, and we start telling everybody about God. And, and for some reason, the people you used to hang around with start making fun of you, and they're not really too friendly anymore. 
And it causes you to step back from the things of God. And then the weedy ground, that's a person that has heard the word of God, has understand, understands the word of God, has been rooted and grounded and is, and is, is unmovable in the things of God. But when it comes to the things of this world, when it comes to the living life, they let life choke out the fruitfulness of the word of God in their life. They're, they're still trying to do things their way and not letting the, letting the seed produce in their life. Next week, we're going to, or won't be next week, the week after next, we're going to be looking at the fourth ground, the good ground, the good ground of the Lord. This is how the kingdom of God works. And if you work it, it will work. And it's so simple. It's so simple. If you want to change your life, it's called effortless change. There's no effort in it. All you have to do is sow the word in your heart, get understanding, get rooted and grounded, and be a doer of the word, and, the, and the, it produces on its own. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that your grace, you've put your grace, you've put your empowerment in the word of God. And as we sow the word of God in our hearts, the word con- con- concerning Jesus Christ it produces a harvest. It produces the harvest. And Father, right now, we just come against those thoughts, the cares of this world, the deceitfulnesses of riches and pleasures of this life that look to rob, kill, and destroy, that look to choke out the word. And today, we make a deliberate choice to speak the word meditate on the word and be a doer of the word and not to lean on our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge you to stop working by the sweat of our own brow and walk in union fellowship with you expecting your grace to give the increase we thank you that we are a peculiar people we are a blessed people And we are going to be a blessing in this earth. We thank you and we love you and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.